you guys, I'm, I'm honored to be with you tonight. If you don't know me, my name is Chip. Um, I grew up here. I'm the youth and young adults pastor. And apparently last week, my business card now says assistant or associate pastor. So that's kind of cool, right? If you didn't know that, hi, it's me. Um, when Pastor Mike asked if I would be uh, willing to teach or if I wanted to teach, uh, sometimes when you're having lunch with Pastor Mike, that feels like a loaded question. <laughs> Uh, so we were sitting there and I said, okay, you know, he, he, he kind of mentioned it and then he, he, shot, he shot it to me in a text. That's kind of how we get things done at the office sometimes. He shot it to me in a text. Hey, would you teach Wednesday, May 17th? And took a deep breath and I said, oh, okay. And he couldn't, I, I sounded confident on a text message, but that wasn't necessarily how I answered. And uh, so I'm very honored to be here. And, and to add on top of that, uh, this is all before he just went on fire with this last Sunday morning series where he's t- teaching about the mercy and compassion of the Lord. If you guys haven't had a chance to listen to that, there's a bookstore right there. You can get them online. Go get it because it was killer. And that just added more pressure to me being here tonight. So that was awesome. And if that wasn't enough, a few weeks ago he had Barry Mitchell come on a Sunday night. And Barry Mitchell's been with us for a, a long time and he killed it. He was so bold and so strong that night. I've never seen him like that before. And he shared stories and it was awesome. And I'm thinking, great, Pastor Mike, what'd you do to me here? So get Barry Mitchell's thing. It's in the, in the back as well. And then if that wasn't enough, if Pastor Mike didn't just preach his tail off for the past few Sunday mornings, I think it's been the past eight, and then he brought in Barry Mitchell who did an amazing job. He had to top it off by last week bringing in Terry Mize. If you guys were here, uh, you know that I have big shoes to fill tonight. If you weren't here, there's a bookstore right there. Go get the CD. You need it. And I'm not just trying to have you sell all the CDs out in the bookstore like I've been told to have you do. But it was all really good stuff. So great. So after Pastor Mike goes on fire, and I think that may have been one of my favorite series ever, Hint, Hint, Growth Groups 2018, right? right? Who was part of those, by the way? Who was in the growth groups this year? Look at, look at them back there. Growth groups, I've had nothing but great responses. If you missed it this year, I'm sorry. It was completely your loss. We will be doing it again uh, next year, and you'll have a chance to be involved, and it will be really awesome again. My group, I know we met at my house, and we got to meet people that we didn't know before, uh, and we got to uh, spend time with them in the Word, but also we had a whole gaggle of kids at our house that got to know each other, and that's the next generation that's coming up through this church to be world changers. Amen. So, Pastor Mike, Barry Mitchell, healings last week with Terry Mize on Wednesday night, instant healings here uh, in the auditorium, on the auditorium. Now, tonight, Wednesday, May 17th at 7.23, you get me, right? So here's, uh, uh, I'm really honored, but here's two things I'm going to promise you for tonight. Uh, number one, the word of God is true. The, the word of God is good. If you pay attention, if you are open and attentive, it will bless you tonight. Amen. And number two, I will have you out of here earlier than Terry Mize did. If you would go ahead and flip to Matthew 14, please. There's a, there's a few things I want to talk to us tonight about, and there are things that go hand in hand. And as I've been studying them out, it's, it's become more and more real to me and and, and what I want to understand tonight is how authority works with compassion. Pastor Mike's been teaching about the mercy or the compassion of the Lord. And every story that I cover in here, you better believe I was listening to intently because he covered them over the past eight weeks. 
Uh, but these two things work very closely. So I want to look at the times when Jesus moved with compassion and, and by what authority he was able to do these things, why he was able uh, to do these things. Uh, I had a text message from Kurt earlier today, and he said, hey, what's the title of the message tonight? And, and I said, using your authority to move with compassion. So if you're taking notes, um, use that. Using your authority to move with compassion. And then the text message instantly back from him was, that title is too long to fit on a CD. So I don't know what it's really going to be called, but at least for tonight, now you have the notes. Uh, Matthew 14, we'll start in verse 13. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. Verse 14, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Now we're going to come back to this story several times throughout the night, these verses sometimes, uh, several times throughout the night. Um, to talk more about the compassion part, but I want to get something settled. It's something that we teach here a lot, and I want to get uh, some simple puzzle pieces put together so we can understand uh, and get it settled in our heart on on what what allowed Jesus, or by what authority did Jesus do these things when he moved with compassion? What, what authority did he use when he healed the multitude in this instance? If you would, flip to Philippians 2. And we see in Jesus' ministry and other places it reads, He healed all who were sick. It's a reoccurring theme theme throughout His ministry to heal the sick. So let's see why it was possible. Philippians 2, starting in verse 7. This is speaking of Jesus coming as our substitute. But made Himself of no reputation, and took upon Him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Uh, you guys, if this verse is correct, and it is, it's telling us that Jesus came and became just like man. We've talked about it here before, where Jesus laid aside his heavenly power and authority and came to earth as a man. And if that's the case, then, then, then how is, is Jesus doing these miracles? If he came to earth as a man, by what authority is he doing the, these things? And, and how could he rightfully say... In Matthew seven twenty nine, uh, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And verse 28 says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. How could Jesus, the man who laid aside, we just saw in Philippians, who laid aside his, his godly powers, if you would, how could, how could Jesus do the miracles that he did if he wasn't using the God powers, if he, if he didn't have the authority of God anymore because he set it aside to come as your substitute. And we all understand that he, would have, he had to come as our substitute or else that price wouldn't have been paid. If he came as anything more or anything less than what we are, it would have been an unrighteous substitute. It would have been off. The scales would have been off. Do you understand? He was just like us. And, and how would he be able to teach as one having authority? If he didn't have it himself, they would have saw right through it. Flip to Matthew 8, if you would. You guys have heard this story before, and it's Pastor Mike uses it a lot, and it helps us understand what authority is. It's talking about the centurion. And in Matthew 8, starting in verse 5, it says, And Jesus was entered into Capernaum. There came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, My servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. 
For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say to you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. That was Matthew 8, 5 through 13, or we'll get to 13 in a moment. That was through 10. You guys, the centurion understood what authority was. He understood that uh, Jesus had it. He, under, he wouldn't have come and asked Jesus or told Jesus that he understood authority if he didn't think that Jesus had authority. So what he understood authority to be is that whatever you say to the people or the things under you, whatever you say to them, that they must obey. In verse 8, he says, speak the word only and he'll be healed. In verse 9, you see his rationale. Because I understand authority, I understand, Jesus, that you have it. Jesus, since you have authority over sickness, just say the word and I know it has to go. And then in verse 13, it goes on to say, And Jesus said to the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. A few things that stick out to me is clearly that he understood Jesus had authority. Jesus knew he had the authority, so where'd he get it? The centurion knew he had authority because he'd seen and heard Jesus operate in it. When something is under your authority, it has to obey you. In this instance, we see that sickness was clearly under Jesus' authority because when he spoke to it, it left. It's that same authority that over sickness that we started back in Matthew 14, that same authority that caused the multitudes to be healed. And you're saying, Chip, you haven't answered the question, where did, where did Jesus get this authority? You haven't answered that if Jesus came as a man and set aside his godly powers, where did he get this authority? So to go there and, and to help outline everything that we've started talking about so far, go back to Genesis 1. How many of you know when you're looking for an answer, a good place to start is the beginning, amen? Starting in verse 26, Genesis 1, 26. It's towards the very beginning of that big book in your lap. And God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. You guys, I love this passage. And I love what Terry said last week because... The authority of man is something that the church has argued about since the beginning. It's probably going to be something that the church is going to argue about until Jesus comes back and says, see, <laughs> right? And it's, it's something that I love what Terry said last week uh, in regards to this in verse 26. God starts off by listing things that man has dominion over. And it's almost like he gets sick of trying to list every specific thing. And he says, over all the earth. Okay, over all the earth and everything that's in it. Everything that creeps and crawls and flies and swims and over, over everything. So instead of listing, and I think that's probably where the Bible says uh, if we tried to have a book that contained all the good works of God that we wouldn't have room for it in the earth. I think that's why. Because if, if God spent this time in Genesis 1 telling us everything we had dominion over instead of just saying over all the earth and over everything in it, we'd still be reading. We'd still be trying to have the user's manual and get the instructions right before we were willing to go out and do anything. And I love what, what Terry said last week. Again, if you weren't here, get the CD. You'll know what I'm talking about. But 
he said the Bible's not open for your interpretation. I think that's, that's something really great to hang on to. Uh, we try to spin or justify things or, or verses to fit our situation. And it's not the Bible fitting your situation. It's making your situation line up with the Bible. The Bible is not open to interpretation. And if God says that we have authority over all the earth and over everything in it, that's what he meant. Sorry. That's what God meant. You have authority over it all. There's no point in trying to argue with God over what you do and don't have authority over. He said it. He meant it. It's yours. It's our choice if we want to walk in it or not. But either way, you have that authority. In verse 28, subdue the earth. Rule over it. There's no other way around it. I think uh, this is a side note that kind of came to me. We have a lot of people in this world that are worshiping the earth. You know, I, I have a kids movie on my DVR called Moana, and it's the ocean god and the demigod and, and all these other things. And I'm going, people are worshiping the wrong things. It's okay to be appreciative of the creation that God has given to us, but we don't worship down. If God gave us authority over the earth, we don't worship down. We worship the one who put the earth under our feet. Amen. So where do we go? We're, we have dominion over all things. God gave man. He gave Adam. He's, he's the one that you came from. He gave him authority. Jesus came to the earth like as a man, like Adam, like you, like me. How did Jesus do these miracles? How did he heal? How did he provide for people? And it's a simple answer when you look back at Genesis 1. It's because he operated under the biblical authority that God gave man. He came to the earth as a man. God gave man authority in Genesis 1 from the very beginning. And God hasn't changed. He won't change. Ain't going to happen that same authority that he gave Adam in the garden is, a, is the authority that Jesus operated under. It's the same authority that God expects us to operate under, if we will. The centurion understood that Jesus had authority. So all Jesus had to do was speak and sickness obeyed. And we have and should and can operate in that same authority. God gave it to us. The earth and every living thing in it must respond. If the Bible is true, the earth and everything in it must respond to you, just like the soldiers under the centurion. That's how Jesus could say and not be amiss in John fourteen twelve when he said that, I tell you this, he that believe on me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do also, because I go to my Father. You guys, we're in a church that, that preaches faith and, and we get the word all the time and this seems so matter of fact to us, but I want to drive home the point that God gave us authority over the earth. That means the entire earth must respond. God gave you that authority in Genesis 1. It's the same authority that Jesus had. And in this instance, what we're talking about tonight is moving with compassion towards people. And the first thing we see Jesus do is heal the sick. Jesus had authority over sickness. That means the, the flu virus you have authority over it according to Genesis 1. If you live in Foothill Ranch, you just got a notification that the swimming pool is now closed because Legionnaire's disease, is that what it's called? <laughs> it's something where you get pneumonia or something like that. There was two cases, but the pool's closed. Guess what? We have authority over it according to Genesis 1. It says every creeping thing is under our feet. Can I tell you that sickness, what do they call it, bacteria? Why? Because it's alive. Viruses are alive. It's a little stinking, tiny, microscopic piece of garbage that's creeping on the earth. Cancer. It's a tough one. 
we, we start to cower when we talk about cancer, but cancer, a living thing, that's probably the creepiest creeping thing that I can think of uh, that affects more people and, and steals more people out of the kingdom of God than anything I can think of, and it's, it's under our authority. Now, let me say this. I know that I just touched a nerve on a lot of people because there's a lot of people in the body of Christ, a lot of people in this church who have had loved ones that cancer has affected, that cancer has taken, that whatever terminal disease may have taken. And before, uh, before you write me off as just a young, naive kid that's just throwing the Bible at you, let me tell you some things that I know. Pastor Mike gave me a quote. Um, uh, he didn't give it to me, but I'll take it for me because he said it uh, several years ago, and I'll never forget it. And he said, don't let what you don't know change what you do know. And here's what we know. We know the word is true. We've seen tonight that the Bible shows us we have dominion over everything that creeps, including sickness. That's including cancer. The Bible talks about Jesus going about and healing all. It talks about in Psalms 103, verse 5, that he healed all of our diseases. That's what we know. Well, why did they die then? I'm not here to try to give you an answer or give you a rationale to why somebody died, but, but what, what I know is I won't let the fact that they died change the, the fact that the word is true. Now, you, you may be saying, you're just speaking hypothetically, and no, I'm not. Let me tell you a story. You'll hear me talk several times tonight um, about my mom, and rightfully so. She was rad. Um, You guys, my mom was sick her entire life. She, uh, before I was born, she had multiple sclerosis. At the time, there wasn't a cure for that. God healed her watching a TV evangelist in the middle of the night. Like, how cool is that? Like, don't write those guys off. All it takes is your faith to believe, right? But she got healed of MS. Uh, she was never supposed to have kids. She had two very good-looking boys, one who was standing in front of you right now. You guys, my mom was faithful and she prayed every day. She prayed every day for her healing. She had tons of medical issues and, and she passed away back in 2002. It's 15 years ago. I was 20 years old. Why did she die? I don't know. But here's what I do know. That, that she fought for years and years. Tirelessly fought for years and years. And, and I know in many of you that have been around something like this, when people are fighting, they get tired. When I was 18, this is two years before my mom passed away, she told me she was done. She told me she was done fighting, and I said, no, no, not yet, Mom. And then two years later, about a month before she passed, she told me the same thing, and I knew. I knew that it was time. When, when she passed away, it sat okay with me because I had the peace that passes all understanding. I knew where she was, and, and at the time I was confused because every single day my mom would sit and read her word. We had neighbors confused like crazy because they knew my mom was standing and believing for her healing. What happened? I don't know. But let me tell you this. I'll tell you what I do know. If I, if I drew a conclusion right there at that moment, I would be forced with the choice to decide if the word of God was true or that my mom's circumstance in this case was true. I would have been forced to make a choice. If at that moment, I was going to take everything that this lesson, that, that I could possibly out of this lesson, if I was going to take my final conclusion right there at that moment, I would be left with saying, faith doesn't work and God doesn't heal everybody. That's, that's the conclusion I'd be left with. So I, I, I say this to say a lot of the times we draw conclusions too early. This is my mom, and I didn't even know the whole side of the story. 
right? Sometimes we're, we're really close to a situation or sometimes we're far off and we just hear about it. But, but, but we're left with the conclusion of either our own experience or the word of God is true. And which one is it going to be? I'll fill in the story and I'll try to get us up to speed and out of here before an hour. I'm only on page seven of 65 notes. So, but I got next week too. So we're good. You guys, it wasn't until about eight years later that uh, several of my mom's closest friends told me some really, really awesome things. And it it came in the context of them telling me that my mom would be proud of me. And that's always great to hear because that's, uh, as a a mama's boy, I'll proclaim that from the rooftops. I'm a giant mama's boy. If you touched my mom, I'd knock you out. If you said something bad to my mom, I'd try to knock you out. I didn't always win, but I'd try. But it wasn't until about eight years later that several of my mom's friends shared something with me that I that I'd never known other than that one night two years before she passed away. What she told me two years before she passed away is that she was ready. It was in the hospital at five in the morning and, and she called the house and my dad was getting ready for work. And I go to the hospital and she said, Chippy, I'm done. I don't want to fight anymore. And I said, no, mom, no, you, you, we're not ready. You can't leave. You can't do this. And And it wasn't until after she passed about eight years later that some of her friends shared with me that towards the end, right about that time where, where she started telling me that she was done, that she didn't want to fight anymore. And I'm, not, and I'm not faulting her for that one bit. I'm not faulting her for not wanting to fight anymore. I think if you get a taste of the glory of God, it's going to be hard to keep fighting because you want to go meet him, right? <laughs> but she told some people some things, and, what, and towards the end, what her, what her confession became was that she wanted to see her boys graduate high school. She wanted to know that her boys were okay, and she wanted to see her boys graduate high school. And this was radically different than I had thought my mom was believing for my entire life. But I remember two years before she died, she told me she was done, that she was ready. And then she had been telling these people, her close friends, people that loved her, that she just wanted to make sure her boys were okay. So a month before she passed away, she, she said, I'm ready to go. And I said, okay, mom, it's okay. She passed away six months after my little brother graduated high school. And I, and I tell you this, it doesn't make her death any easier. I miss her every day. I, I, I wish she would be in my wedding video, um, uh, you know, because she would have been right there dancing with me the whole time. My wife would have had to cut in. Uh, I, I wish she would be there to see, to see my kids. She would love my kids. My kids are awesome. They're the best kids in the world, unless you have kids and yours are the best in the world. But I, I miss her every day. It doesn't make it any easier. But, but I tell you this story because... If I would have jumped to the conclusion right when she passed away, I would have been left trying to weigh, is the Bible real or is my mom's situation and circumstance real? I would have been left, but now eight years passed. Now it's been 15 years. I can rest easily knowing that, that she was ready to be done. It wasn't a matter of a, a lack of faith. It wasn't a matter of God taking her. It wasn't a matter of, of any of these things that the church will tell you, but it was a matter of she was done. She didn't want to fight. And if I would have made my conclusions earlier, I would have had to either say the word isn't true or that my mom did something wrong. That's what I would have been left with. But now I can know that she got everything that she had said. She did her job. She, she ran her race. She wanted to make sure that her boys were okay. And that, that term okay, that might be debatable for some of you, but I think we turned out Okay. Sometimes we draw conclusions before everything is made known. So when we go back and look at, uh, this is a touchy subject, when we're talking about cancer and we're talking about authority over sickness and it rubs people the wrong way because people have died, but 
Don't ever let that detour what we do know. Don't let a circumstance change what you do know. What I do know is that God's will is to heal or else he wouldn't have given us all these examples. What I do know is that his word is true. What I do know is that he's good and that he loves us. What I don't know is why she died. But, but here's this. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to care. When I see my mom again and I think I have an aunt or a question, you know, God, what happened? It's not going to matter because I'm going to be standing there with my mom. I'm going to be standing in the presence of God, probably dancing. My wife may have to cut in. But we're going to be so excited that the, that the reasons why the little ins, insignificant things, the things that maybe we did or missed, or maybe the Holy Spirit was leading you not to get in the car that day before you crashed. Those little questions are all going to be answered, but it's not going to matter because we're all going to be again together. And that's what I can rejoice in knowing that I do get to see my mom again. It's going to be an awesome day. But I ain't ready to go yet. It sounds like a whole lot of fun, but we ain't done here yet. Back to compassion. Matthew 14. Verse 13, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. When the people heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth, saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. I told you we'd come back to this because I want to look at moved with compassion. You see in this, in this moment, he's moved with compassion to heal their sick. A few verses later, he, he's moved with compassion and he feeds them all. And in the next chapter, Matthew 15, verse 32, they must still be hungry or just this entire region of people is just really hungry because he feeds them again. He is moved with compassion and feeds them again. We know these works are possible because he had authority. But what caused him to move? What caused him to do these things? And like Matthew fifteen thirty two says, it says he was moved with compassion. And so uh, when I wanted to see what, what would stir Jesus, what would cause him to do these things, I did what every um, good youth pastor does, and I go on to blueletterbible.com and type in uh, compassion. Right? You guys ever use that? It's a good tool. Get on there. It helps you study it. You don't have to remember the references or anything. It's really crazy. You can just type it in and go. But here's what I got with compassion. That verse, Matthew 15, 32, I typed it in and it said, move with compassion. It points you to Strong's Concordance and it says, moved as to one's bowels. To have bowels move. Now, usually that's not something that's good in church. Usually you hear that at your medical exam or, you know, sometimes kids at winter camp. But it's usually not something we talk about in church. And so it didn't really help me. You know, move with compassion doesn't mean we're going to the restroom so I had to look a little bit more. And here's what bowels, bowels meant. Bowels uh, were regarded as the seat of the more violent passions. That inner stirring. That, and it talks about those inner passions as love and hate. The Hebrews understood bowels as a seat of tenderer. I read that right. Tenderer affections. A heart in which mercy resides. So when we see Jesus move with compassion, we see him moving with this 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 vicious passion, this inner moving, this, this have to get out, this love bubble up inside that he has to move. Let me give you a, a personal life example and try to show you the difference between uh, just walking around and moving with compassion. Um, I've been trying to go to the gym more recently and it sucks. I don't like having to pay to go somewhere where I have to do the work. It would be like going to an auto mechanic, paying him a bunch of money to do it, then you got to work on your car. Hey, thanks for the garage space, but you still got to do it. But anyway, I digress. I hate the gym. I know a lot of you are like me, and, and, and one of the things I hate about the gym is because I need to go there to run. Now, I know I need to be healthy. I, ne- I know I need to be in shape and in better shape, um, but I just don't like it. 
So every time I go to the gym, I'm, I'm, I'm just there going through the motions. And I think a real easy way to tell if you're compassionate about something or not is if you have to be distracted while doing it. Picture me, yes, me, on the treadmill, maxed out the weight limit, and I have my iPhone, thanks to Verizon, I can have endless data now. It used to just be AT&T, but they upgraded. So now I can watch movies. I can listen to podcasts. I can listen to music. I can do whatever I need to do on the treadmill to get my mind off this thing that I have no compassion for. Now, how many of you have kids? Anybody in here? How many of you babysit or watch kids? How many of you have ever been out front somewhere and watching kids learn how to ride a bike? About three, four, five years old. I have a six-year-old now. And when she started to ride her bike, as she would start to fall or as she would fall, I would be running with compassion. I I was going to do everything I could to get there before she fell and or pick her up off the ground to make sure she was okay. I was moving with compassion. There was a violent passion to get there to make sure my kid was okay. I think that's such a, such a good example of the difference between living out our Christian lives and just going about our business versus moving towards others with compassion. Uh, let me show you a quick story. My mom, I told you we'd talk about her. Uh, she was all of five foot five, sometimes five six if she wore her one-inch church heels on Sunday morning. When I, I played football through, from high school through college and uh, my sophomore year at Saddleback, it was the end of a game. It was the eighth game of the season, and uh, I got locked up with one of these big, ugly guys, those offensive tackles, and they're usually the biggest guys on the field. And I got wrapped up with one of them, and somebody fell in and, and hit my leg in the way that everything that could go wrong in the bottom of your leg did, right? Fib- fibia, fibula broke, ankle dislocated, tendons, all that kind of stuff, gross. And in that moment, my mom was in the stands, and in that moment, she became the living definition of moving with compassion. This five foot five lady uh, stepped out from the bleachers, hurdled a four or five foot fence, and sprinted to get to me on the field. This is my dad. He's, he's six three, six four, depending on what shoes he has on, and she beat him to me. She, this little lady scaled this fence, and like, if you watch the Olympics, Usain Bolt had nothing on her for this four, first 65 yards. She was smoking out there. Because she was being moved with compassion, her son was hurt, her son was in need, and she was going to get there. Now, I know it's kind of an a, a out there example, but I think it's a very good example of how we should view moving with compassion. Compassion will cause you to use your authority to do seemingly impossible things, like heal the sick, like raise the dead, like provide for others, like jump a five-foot fence. It's the difference between just living a Christian life and moving with compassion. In preparing for this message, um, I had been working on it for a while, and it just so happened that the week that I wrote down notes to say, uh, using authority to move with compassion on my notepad was the, the following Sunday was when Pastor Mike started talking about the mercy and compassion of the Lord. It's always great timing when the, when the head pastor of the church decides he's going to dive into the topic that you're planning to teach on in a month. But uh, I was super encouraged by that because I felt like I was, I was getting something if Pastor Mike was going to start this brand new series and then he was going to leave and I would be right there preparing to be on the end of it, how cool is that that the Spirit does stuff like that to help line it up? Keith Hershey's coming in this night. It's a love fest the past two months of Foothill Family Church. Y'all better come and be blessed. It's just been a love fest. 
But, but in preparing for this message, God asked me a question. And, and when I say that, I was sitting in my office, I didn't hear it. But as I was going through this, something popped into my heart. And the question was this. When was the last time you moved with compassion on anything? It's not really a question you want to hear when you're trying to live a life of compassion. Let me give you an example. Last week, I had a headache. And I tossed up a quick prayer on my way to the cabinet to grab four Advil. Yes, I'm a big guy. I can have four Advil. But I commanded the headache to go just kind of in routine and went and grabbed the Advil and popped it. And I knew the Advil would take care of it, whether or not my, my confession was going to do anything. And here's the problem is Jesus was moved with compassion and then there was results. It wasn't just empty words. And in this case, I threw, was throwing up empty words to no avail. I wasn't even trying. I said it just routinely on my way to grab the Advil. There was, no, there was no vicious passion. There was no longing. There was no inside bubble up. There was no sincerity. There was no fervency. Is that a word? Effective, the, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man. There was none of that. So how could I expect the prayer to do anything? My faith was in the Advil. Now it's a simple everyday example. But, but I knew mentally that I had the authority of the headache. But I didn't exercise it. I didn't move with compassion. And I think that often we do that a lot in our everyday lives. Uh, anybody else on Facebook? Everybody's guilty. You don't have to raise your hand. If you don't have it, you look on to somebody that you know. But uh, Facebook is difficult because a lot of the times I'll get an email chain or a Facebook. You'll see on there just scrolling through for a prayer request and you'll read it. And then you'll throw up an empty prayer. And by the time you've said amen, you're already seven posts later to see what Katie had lunch for lunch today. Am I right? We take these things so casually. We throw out words so casually because we, we, we understand authority, but we're, we're not even operating in it. We understand it, so we just make it so routine that there's no, there's no move of compassion. There's nothing behind it. We can, we can say empty words with nothing behind them because we don't even care. And I know in my case, when it was the Advil, when I had the headache... I didn't even care enough about myself at that moment to really go to God with it. If I don't take the time to go to God in sincerity for things for myself, how much more difficult it is, is it to move towards in compassion towards others? In James 5, 16, I mentioned this. It says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And right before that it says, Pray one for another that you may be healed. God wouldn't put that in there if he didn't expect it to work. Your prayers are supposed to get results. Why? Because you have the Genesis 1 authority. How often do we leave out the compassion when we try to use our authority or when we just casually use our authority? Um, A few weeks ago, Pastor Mike said maybe one of my all-time favorite quotes. He's had a lot of good ones over the years, but uh, in his message titled The Mercy of the Lord, I think it was from uh, April 30th. Go get that one in the bookstore too. He says, every work Jesus has ever done is an example of God's mercy in action. Now, I didn't hear your pens right. So get out your pen. I don't care if you took notes on what I say, but get this. Every work Jesus has ever done is an example of God's mercy in action. I wrote that in my notebook that night. I took notes on it a few days later. And I just have that thing posted everywhere. I made a sign for it in my office because it's that good. 
But think about that. Every teaching, every miracle, every healing, every demon cast out, every, every person that God raised from the dead, every, everything that Jesus did was an example of God's love and mercy towards you or for us. That, that, that compassion, that stirring deep down, you know, even, even in the instance of flipping over the money changers' tables, that was a moment of Jesus moving in compassion, in a violent passion because something was amiss. Jesus' entire life was, was, was an act of compassion, was a walk of compassion. Everything he did was an example of God's mercy and compassion in action. And that's our example. And I have a series of questions to ask you just to think about. Don't yell out, please. What if we actually chose to live like that? What if we actually chose to see every action that we take as an opportunity to show God's mercy and compassion? Would that change how we responded or acted to others? I know for me it would. We know that, that God wants us to do these things. We see Jesus tell that he does the will of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we can look at Jesus as our example of, of how to walk out this life, how, how to walk out this life of moving in compassion. And, and I think it's, it's worth looking at to note that it doesn't just happen by chance. If you go back and look at Jesus' entire life, he was a student of the word. At 12, he was teaching I can tell you right now, it's not an easy thing to do for a 35-year-old, let alone a 12-year-old. It's not an easy thing to do, but he was a student of the Word. He had a prayer relationship with God, and he spent time and walked with God. So how do we become like Jesus? How do we use this authority? How do we walk out this authority and moves of compassion towards others? We do what Jesus did, and that was pursue God every single day. Spent time in the Word, spent time in prayer, spent time listening Prayer is a two-way conversation, and it's good for us just to stop and listen sometimes. Listen as you read the Word. I know for me, a lot of times when I'm reading the Word, that's when I, when I start to see new things and learn new things. That's when the Lord is speaking to me the most, but you also have to stop and listen. Why do we do that? Because Romans 12, 2, it says, renew your mind. 1 Corinthians 2, 16, we have the mind of Christ. When you focus on knowing God, like Jesus did, when you focus on knowing God, you get to know all of Him. When you study his word, you get to know all of God, his character, his mind, his heart, his desires. If you want to know how to live and to love like Jesus, it's seek God in all of the things that we do. If you seek God, if you seek God in everything that he does, everything he has done, and you can realize that everything that Jesus ever did was a move of compassion, everything that God's done towards you was a move of compassion, created the world out of compassion for you, gave us the word out of compassion for you, sent Jesus as our substitute and as our Savior out of compassion for you, gave us this church out of compassion for you, gave us Pastor Mike out of compassion for you and for me. Thank God he did. Amen. He moved with compassion in everything that he's ever done for you, for you and towards you. When you seek, you'll find, just like the Bible says. And when you seek God's heart, it becomes your heart. When you seek God's heart towards others and how much he loves other people, that will become your heart. Your desire will be to love on a people just like God does. If Jesus moved with compassion to heal, shouldn't we? If Jesus moved with compassion to reach others, shouldn't we? If he moved with compassion to save the lost, to make disciples, to meet needs, and to raise the dead, then shouldn't we? You guys, the, the entire night has been to show how compassion and authority go hand in hand and how they work together, how we have the authority, but unless we choose to use it, nobody's going to be affected. We don't choose to step out and move towards others with compassion. That authority is going to lie dormant. 
I have one more story to tell you before we go. Uh, and I want to tell you about this because it's the first time that I can remember actually moving with compassion, with real gut-wrenching, violent, uh, violent passion. Um, uh, when I, I grew up in church, but other than praying uh, desperately for a puppy when I was eight, uh, which God and my parents were faithful to answer that prayer, uh, there's one other time that I can point to where it was a huge moment in my life. And if you're in youth or young adults, you've heard this story before. Um, but it, it was a moment that, that I reached out to God and, and I moved towards somebody in compassion and, and the results were there. So let me tell you this story. I told you before, my mom had been sick and, uh, and, and part of what she struggled with is, was kidney failure. So she would go to dialysis, you know, started off once a week, then twice a week, then three times a week. And uh, then sometimes it was more than that, just as it was needed. And there was one day, it was, I was 17 years old. And I was, like I said, I grew up here and I knew the word, but I was really struggling with, with believing, is the word true? Is God real? Is all, is all this stuff that we've always been taught, is it real? And my mom, sometimes when she'd go to dialysis, uh, it would cause her heart to race. It's trauma on the body. So her heart would race. So she'd come home and And every once in a while, she'd have her heart racing 180 plus beats per minute. And that's not good if you're just standing there. If you're running or trying to do cardio at the gym, maybe. But not if you're just standing there. And I I walked in from practice or wherever I was. And and she looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, Chip, I need you to take me to the hospital. And I said, okay, Mom, hold on. Hold on is probably not something that your mom wants to hear when she just told you you have to go to the hospital. But I went upstairs. And and this is the first time in my life I can remember... uh, you know, everything that you think about when you think of effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, I was doing it. Like, if, if, it was, if you think of it as, like, physical, like, down on my knees and scrunched up, that's what I was doing. Not that you have to do that to be effective in prayer, but that's what I was doing. I was laying my heart on the line for God. I was, I was violently moving in passion towards my mom. And I laid it all on the line for God. And I took the authority. And I said, God, you know. You know what she needs I know what your word says. I know what she says every single day. We command this to stop. Before I even had the chance to say amen, my mom was at the bottom of the stairs and she said, Chippy, <laughs> and now, uh, you know, she's little, I'm big. She said, Chippy, no matter how old I was going to be. And I come to the top of the stairs and I can see it plain as day, looking straight down at the bottom of the stairs. And, and she goes, did you pray for me? And I said, yeah, mom, I did. And she said, let's go for a walk. And of course, I couldn't just go right down. I had to go back in the room and just cry my, my eyes out. you know. But, but, but in that moment, I, I took the authority that God gave us in Genesis 1. I moved with compassion because my mom was important to me. It was something that really mattered. Not my Advil headache that I knew would go away, but this was super important to me because it was my mom. Just like when I see my kids fall on their bike, I'm there in a move of compassion. So I used my authority and I moved to compassion. And guess what happened? Her heart stopped racing and we went for a walk. Now, why do I tell you that? I tell you that because it's the same authority that God gave man in Genesis 1. The same authority continued through Jesus, continued through the disciples, continues now to you and I. If we didn't have authority, my mom's heart wouldn't have stopped racing that day. So I had the authority and I had it all along. Even though I had questions, I didn't understand it all. I had the authority. And when I moved with compassion, I got the same results that Jesus did. Had nothing to do with me. I just did what the Bible said. I did what Jesus did as a man here on the earth when he walked in authority, moved with compassion, and got the results. But why? 
Why was there results? It's because I actually cared. Because I tried. And I'm not giving this as a blanket answer for everything, but, but in my situation, that was one of the first times in my life I really had to believe. I grew up in a great house with great parents. We had some type of version of everything, although it wasn't racing motorcycles. We had motorcycles. You know, we had, we had everything. We had a ping pong table at our neighbor. We had everything, right? And so I never really had to stand. And when it, the time came to understand and use the authority that, I, that I've been told I've had ever since I was a kid, that authority had always been there, but it was the first time I moved with compassion and the results were there. In that moment, I was doing the works of Jesus, just like he said that we would. The same authority, the same compassion, same results. Now, I'd be lying to you if I told you that every person I've come in contact with, I've prayed for the same way as I prayed for my mom. I think that's something that we need to learn to do because God sees every person as equally important. It's hard for us to get get a handle on it because it's easy for me to say I would die for my kids, but for you, maybe not so much. Right? And I'm not going to have to. Jesus did that for us. But I think it's, I'd be lying if I told you that. And I think it's, that's what bothers me so much when I get into learning about the compassion of Jesus. Because it didn't matter who the person was. When they had a need and they came to him, he met it. Every work Jesus did was an example of God's mercy in action. Every work to every person. One last thing I'll make a note of. When these people came... When these people came to Jesus, in Matthew 14, they came, they heard the word, they believed and they received. And, and I think it's important to note that in each step in the process was a step of Jesus moving in compassion. He received them. Sinners, doubters, sick people that shouldn't be around anybody, he received them. Compassion. He spoke and taught them. Compassion. He healed and provided for them. Compassion. The Bible talks about some reaping, some sowing, some being pastors and teachers, some working in the kids' ministry, some making coffee. We're all called to different ministries. Our ministries, our lives, every single thing that we do, our calling should be a step-by-step-by-step step step move of compassion. In Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says that we are the body of Christ. Now, if, if, if we are his hands, his feet, if we're, if we're his body, that means that we're responsible now for Jesus, the church, the body of Christ, moving with compassion towards others. Guys, we are super blessed here at Foothill Family Church. We're blessed to have Pastor Mike. We're blessed to have a man who's led by the Spirit, and that each time we get together, we just get fed. We get to eat on the truth of the Word every time that we come together. And I know for me, sometimes after we come to church, I go get a big full meal in my tummy at the food court because that's where my kids like to go because they only like burritos from Rubio's. And after I eat a meal, all I want to do, do is go home and take a nap. Anybody else with me? I just described half of our Sunday afternoons, right? We get a good meal in our stomach and we go and we take a nap. But how often do we do that spiritually as well? We come into a church service, we, we hear a great message online, or we read something really awesome in the Bible, and we get super filled up, and then we just go home and go to sleep. Where have we left time, or where have we set, a set, set aside time to move with compassion? Guys, this meal, the truth of the word, the goodness of God, His healing mercy, it's not meant to cause you to go to sleep. It's meant that you go out and share He gives you more than enough. Fill up your pockets, line them with plastic, fill them up and go out and hand it out to everybody that you see. 
the church, our pastor. It's for equipping us, for you and me to go and do the work of the ministry and to move with compassion. And I, and I know we have needs too. As people in the church, we have needs too. And, and we need, sometimes we just need to come to church so we can get fed, so we can get built up. And I think that's great, and we need to always be doing that. But don't let your needs, your schedule, your own hunger take you away from moving with compassion towards someone else. The Bible says not to grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in using your authority to move with compassion. Uh, In the story of Matthew that we've been focused on all night long, uh, this is just after John the Baptist was beheaded. This is Jesus' cousin. Jesus is taking his disciples to go and get away. Jesus is going out out to be by themselves because there's something that he needs. He needs time to just take a breath because his cousin just got beheaded and he's hurting and they just buried him. Now he wants to go and take his boys and just go hang out for a little bit and just relax. Jesus just wanted to go get fed, but that's when the multitude showed up. So we see right here in the Bible uh, this example of of putting others before yourself. I, th- I think very firmly that this is a precursor to Jesus uh, dying on the cross. It's, it's him telling us that greater love has no one than this and to lay down his life for his friends. Just as Jesus living it out before he even hits the cross. He's putting aside his needs and his, his need for, to be fed right now because his cousin had just been murdered. He put all that aside because people came to him and had a need. So what did he do? He sat with them. He talked with them. He teached with them. And he moved with compassion. And he healed them. And then he said, let's eat. Don't let your own busy day today, don't let your schedule or, or the one thing that you're believing for, don't let what you're believing for take you out of being able to move to compassion or move towards uh, someone else in compassion. That's Jesus' example of how to use our authority to move with compassion towards a lost in, in hurting world. Guys, that's the example that we should follow. We serve a great God who has great things to do for everyone, but he's got to do them through us. We're his hands and feet. We're the ones that can show his compassion. We're the ones that can move with compassion towards other people because we are the body of Christ. Let's purpose to be more like Jesus and to move with compassion. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this night, for... Uh, for what you've spoken here tonight, for the words that you gave me, God, help. Uh, I trust that you spoke to the hearts of everyone here, that what was needed to be said was said, and God, anything that was left out, that you can make up the difference. Thank you that we, we long to have a heart like you, to see other people like you do, God, that we can move with compassion in every single situation. We can use the authority that you gave us from the very beginning, that same authority that you gave Adam, that same authority that Jesus operated in, is the same authority that is alive and well today in us. Help us to move with compassion towards others and use that authority to really take the time, to really care. Because we know that you confirm the word with signs following. And that you're coming for a glorious church and that's how it will happen. Through the word being spoken, through the church moving with compassion towards others and healing the sick reaching the lost, saving the lost, so that you come back for a glorious church. That's what our heart is for. God, we know heaven's big enough for them all. Help us to move with compassion, move with violent passion towards every single person we come in contact with because we know the price is great. We know that you are great, Father God. That your love for us is great, and we just want to share that with every single person that we come in contact with, from family to friends to complete strangers.
Help us to move with compassion towards them, to have a heart for the lost like you did, Jesus. We thank you for this night, for everyone that's here. Thank you for Pastor Mike. Refresh him. Bless him on his trip. Let him know that we love him, Father God. We give you all the praise and the glory. If you can agree with that, would you say amen? I hope, uh, I hope you, this was a blessing to you tonight. I'm honored to be here. Uh, if it was, if it was a blessing, come back next week. If it wasn't, move with compassion towards me and come back next week anyway. Jesus loves you, so do we. Have a great week. Keith Hershey on Sunday. We will see you then. Thank you. You're dismissed.